0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit echoeygt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at echoeygt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Good morning. Take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. Today we are concluding our sermon series titled survivor. Let's begin reading in verse 3. We'll read down to verse 10. The New Living Translation says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now Peter says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone." And the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go down to verse 10. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to to preach your word. We pray for your anointing. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive and give us ears that would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And Lord, you've called us to be survivors. And Lord, we are more than overcomers. Now, Father, I pray as we preach today that you will challenge our hearts and challenge our minds and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. In our first sermon on this series, we spoke about three different things. We challenged you and said, you're going to thrive in this season and not simply survive. In that first sermon, we learned and we reminded ourselves that we have everything we need to live this life. And then we spoke about, you have to put the work in. We have a responsibility to make every effort to respond to the kindness and the generosity of God. And last week, we started with the quality of faith. And we spoke about that the Lord Jesus is the object and the source of our faith. And the scriptures teach us the need to do two things in the area of faith. We need to stand firm in faith, and we need to grow in our faith. And then to faith, we must add a generous portion of moral excellence. One definition of moral excellence is courage to do what is right. And we reminded you last weekend that that if there's ever been a time that we need the courage to do what is right, it is now, it is today. Today. We must learn to stand upon principle. We must learn to stand upon our convictions, and we must make a decision that we will never waver. Well, today we're going to finish our series on uh, being a survivor by dealing with the other qualities and characteristics that Peter lists here. To faith and moral excellence, we must add a generous portion of self-control. Some translations use the word temperance. See, self-control is the ability to control one's self. One writer states this, true knowledge leads to self-control. See, you have to make a determination that you're going to commit yourself to study the Word of God. And as you study the Word and gain spiritual knowledge, it leads to the development of self-control. Now, the Apostle Peter is combating a false teaching which encouraged any kind of living under the guise of freedom, much like today. Peter instead urged his readers to develop the ability to exercise temperance and self-control. See, you and I must make a decision to refuse to be a prisoner. Self-control describes the inner strength to control one's desires and cravings. The believer through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit is not to be a prisoner to any sinful desire or craving. For you see I think a lot of us go wrong when we ask God to remove us from situations when our prayer should really be, Lord, help us and help me to develop self-control. The Apostle Paul writing to the young pastor, Timothy, in his second letter. That most famous verse, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, self-control is the ability to govern oneself. This is a place in God, and there is a place in God where one can have the ability to say no to the world and yes to the spirit. We can refuse to be a prisoner to the appetites of the flesh. And this self-control is found in the sphere of knowledge, doctrinal knowledge, experiential knowledge. May our prayer be... Lord, help us apply the knowledge we have and may it penetrate deep into the recesses of our spirits to control our actions. We must change the way we see ourselves in the self-control department. A key to living a successful, happy, and fulfilled life is not in the absence of self-control, but the development of this temperance. Self-control. Peter proclaims the importance of this characteristic. And I imagine a large part of our woes is directly due to the lack of uh, this characteristic, a a lack of self-control in our personal lives. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, baptize me with the spirit of temperance, self-control. So remember You have received the spirit of self-discipline. Now, notice what Peter says. To faith, add knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, add a generous portion of patient endurance. Let me give you a workable definition of uh, patient endurance. The Greek word literally means steadfastness. It is the power to withstand hardships or stress, especially the inward fortitude that is necessary. Some translate the word as perseverance. In its most literal meaning, the word has this meaning, to walk under the load, to carry the load to persevere, to keep moving no matter how difficult the path becomes. This refers to the courage to deal with the difficult times in life. Perhaps veiled uh, reference to the dominant theme of suffering in 1 Peter. Peter says you've got, you got to exercise and you got to add patient endurance, the ability to persevere. When I think of perseverance, I think of weathering the storm. I want to challenge you. Get this settled in your mind. Hard times are here, and we're called upon to weather the storm. We're called upon to bear the load. We're called upon to patiently endure. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in his first letter, 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, Timothy, you are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance. Timothy, pursue. Why? Because you are a man of God. And GT, I want to challenge you. Understand who you are. You are people of faith. You are people of God. So run from all the things that will distract you and pursue righteousness along with faith, love, and perseverance. The ability to bear up underneath the trial. In 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul, again, gives another charge. He says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. He says, you know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. Endurance is so important. Patient endurance to persevere. See, the early Christians knew what it was to patiently endure. The Apostle Paul, talking about his own experience, in his second letter to Corinthians, chapter 4, uh, verse 8 and 9, he says, We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Can I challenge you? Don't give up, but bear up underneath those trials. You say, well, how can I do this? Let me give you one of the challenges in the book of Hebrews. Keep Jesus in focus. Keep looking at Christ, your Savior. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance. There it is, that word, run with endurance, the race God has set before us. We do this. We run with endurance. We run with steadfastness by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So the charge from the writer of Hebrews is run with endurance. Notice what he calls this life, the race God has set before us. You are in a race, a race that God has set before you. And how do you run this race with perseverance, endurance? By keeping Your eyes on Jesus, the champion. (laughs) He's victorious. And you shall be victorious also. Now notice what Peter says. To faith, add knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, patient endurance. And to patient endurance, add a generous portion of godliness godliness. Let me be honest. When you hear that word godliness, what do you think of? A particular look? A particular clothing or hairstyle? Think of a pious person? Maybe one who is always real serious? Maybe, maybe one who always begins and ends the conversation with a spiritual phrase. Maybe when you think of godliness, you think of one who looks like they just stepped out of an anger convention. Maybe you think of one who carries this huge Bible around everywhere. I submit to you those things are not godliness. What is godliness? Let's look to the pastoral epistles. In the New Testament, the word godliness is especially common in the pastoral epistles for living the kind of life that pleases God. See, when we talk about godliness, we're talking about a life that pleases the Father. Again, going to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Paul says this, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas or old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Notice what Paul said, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, it says, They will act religious, but they reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So the King James says it this way, there are those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They don't allow the power of God to change their life. They might say the right thing, they might look a particular way, but their heart is far from God. See, godliness is about living a life that pleases the Lord. Let's talk about the origin of the word. The word godliness actually comes from two different words. The the first word means well, and the second means to worship. So the word godliness literally means to worship well. One theologian writes this, Christians are to live consistent, Christ-like lives, showing by their godliness that they have a very practical awareness of God in every aspect of their existence. So begin to ask yourself the question, how does one worship well? One worships well when you live according to biblical truth. Biblical truth. See, many people want their own form of Christianity. But Peter challenges us, listen, you got to add godliness to these characteristics. you got to worship well. You've got to live a life that pleases the Lord. So true worship is to live according to what pleases the Father. It's not our own form of what we think, it's what God thinks. So that's where the study of God's word is so imperative because to study God's word is to get God's thoughts, to understand the ways of God. So if we're going to worship well, then we've got to know how and what God says. See, godliness is about living out biblical truth. Biblical truth must be practical, it must be lived out. Simply put, walk in his steps. Walk in his steps. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says this Jesus is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So, great questions to ask yourself. Some questions are How would Jesus respond to my injustice? How would Jesus respond to this trial? How would Jesus respond to my difficult neighbor? Or how would Jesus respond to this specific situation? This is how you worship well. This is true godliness. So godliness is not a look. It is not even a spiritual talk or speech. It is not a painful facial expression. Godliness is a relationship with the Father through the Son, expressing itself in practical, everyday, biblical truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what, what holy and godly lives you should live. Other words, the things we see are going to be done away with. But you are meant to live for eternity. So Peter says we should live godly lives. Moving forward forward, Peter says, add to or supplement godliness with a generous portion of love. Now, I think this is important that Peter closes out these eight characteristics with two types of love, two different words. And the first word is this, brotherly affection. It's interesting to me that brotherly love or affection follows godliness. For you see, I believe there's a subtle reference or inference here. True godliness is not some hardened truth that becomes judgmental and condemning, but in its fullest outflow is manifested in love, love one for the other. And the Greek word here for brotherly affection or brotherly love is philadelphia. And it too comes from two words, philio, to have affection for, and adiphos, meaning brother. The King James translates it this way, brotherly kindness. See, brotherly love or brotherly kindness or brotherly affection is a true concern and love for other household believers. It is the affection naturally befitting the relationship between uh, siblings, brothers and sisters, and moms and dads with their family members. This love is characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges for another person's behalf. In other words, it is putting your brother or sister's needs before our own. So notice, we're to add to godliness a generous helping, a a generous portion of brotherly kindness. Love. Because Peter understands that if you don't have love to godliness, it becomes judgmental. It becomes condemning. It becomes, I'm better than you. See, brotherly love is so important. It's putting your brother or sister's needs before your very own. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.22, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other. As brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all your hearts. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Notice he says, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. That's brotherly love. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. The writer of Hebrews declares in Hebrews 13, verse 1 keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. See, this is shown in the common life of the church. It is an outward, an outworking of Christ's love, which it is natural to find among Christians but must be increased and deepened so that it might become lasting, genuine, and the real thing. It is shown in a common way of thinking and living, especially in hospitality and helping the needy Christians. It proves to Christians themselves and to the world the genuineness of their faith. Now, Peter says, add or supplement to your brotherly affection a generous portion of love, not just to your brothers and sisters, but love for everyone. And what is so fascinating here is the original word is agape. This is a Christ-like love. This love is a strong non-sexual love and regard for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. It is especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. Warren Wearsby writes this, But there is more to Christian growth than brotherly love. We must also have the sacrificial love that our Lord displayed when he went to the cross. The kind of love spoken of in 2 Peter 1.7 is agape love. The kind of love that God shows toward lost sinners. He continues to write, this is the love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13, the love that the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts as we walk in the Spirit. You see, when we have brotherly love, we love because of our likeness to others. But agape love, we love in spite of the difference we have. Oh, I like that. Agape love is we love in spite of the difference we have. Imagine, imagine how sweeter our world would be if we could practice this agape love. May our prayer be, Lord, help us to love others despite what our differences may be. This agape love is defined by the act of God sending his son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God agaped the world that he gave as one and only his begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Agape love, it is a willing sacrifice on the behalf of others. It is loving someone when they don't have the ability or the insight to love you back. This type love is a total sacrifice. Glad Tidings, can I challenge you? to grow like this, to love like this. And as we love like this, the blessings of God will flow toward us. Notice what Peter says. It all begins with faith. And add to faith a generous, generous portion of moral excellence And to moral excellence, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, patient endurance. And to patient endurance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly affection. And to brotherly affection, love for everyone. And the more you grow like this, the more productive you will be. The more fruit you will bear. You know what happens when Christians bear fruit? The world sees your fruit and begins to give God the honor and glory. Herein is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit. And then Peter says this, if you do these things, you will never fall away. We're talking about surviving. We're talking about bearing up underneath the trial. We're talking about thriving in the midst of the chaos around us. You do these things, you will never fall away. You know, maybe, maybe you realize today you need you need some self-control in some areas. Why don't you right now just ask the Holy Spirit to help you in those areas of weakness. Ask the Spirit of God to give you wisdom to exercise self-control. You know, maybe, maybe you realize that you need the ability to patiently endure, To bear up, to persevere, to, spiritually speaking, toughen up some. Maybe you realize you need the ability to do this. Why don't you ask God right there where you are to help you to patiently endure? You know, possibly there's some areas in your life where you realize that there's not a whole lot of godliness going on there. Can I challenge you? Make a decision to live a life that glorifies your Father. Make a decision to put into practice the teachings of Jesus in your life. If there's some area of weakness, some area of sin, why don't you confess that to the Lord and say, Jesus, I don't want to live like the world. I want to live as you would have me live. Maybe you're having a tough time loving somebody in your household. You know what? God can give you the strength to love your brother and sister. But it doesn't stop there, it's about loving everyone the same way that God loves you. Have you ever experienced God's agape love, his unconditional love? Maybe right now you realize you've heard about his love but you've never tasted his love, experienced his love. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. You can at this moment. God loves you unconditionally, and he wants to give you the gift of eternal life. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? Jesus, Jesus. I commit my life to you. I accept you, as my Lord and accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Son of God. And I confess my sins to you. Confess my sins to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For having mercy on me. Having mercy on me. For loving me. Loving me, loving me unconditionally. Loving me unconditionally. Now help me to love others. Help me to love others. And to love myself, love myself. as you love me. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. We believe today you became born again. Welcome to the family of God. Can we spend a few moments and just worship the Lord together? Can we spend a few moments and say, Father, we honor you, we love you, and we worship you.